Hello and welcome to Dissecting a Frog, a podcast about writing, performing and producing comedy. Hosted by me, Luke Morris. This week we talk to David M. Green. Uh, David, he has a terrific comedy CV as writing for radio and television. Uh, but unlike most of our guests so far, he he hasn't spent a lot of time on stage. Um, and I think that's a really interesting look into uh, what it is to be someone who works and, and writes and produces comedy but um, doesn't come from so much of a stand-up comedy background. Um, he's worked with some great shows, big names, so it's going to be interesting uh, because you, know, you can get noticed in the comedy circles these days by doing all kinds of things. And um, He's now doing VHS review series on YouTube and there's, there's all kinds of things. So we're going to talk about that. Uh, first, we're going to talk... Uh, just quickly about Comedy Victoria. Hi, uh, this is uh, uh, something we set up to help acts and producers and a whole bunch of people. Bit of a view of regional Victoria, but uh, anybody who's interested in um, doing comedy things. Uh, so we've got this podcast for education. There's a monthly newsletter for grant writing and uh, gig reminders. And um, if you want to support all of this, uh, visit to the website comedyvictoria.com.au or follow on Instagram comedyvic. Now let's jump to the interview and dissect the frog of writing behind the scenes with David M. Green. I suppose that leads to a, a first question. You started writing with comedy in radio I, I looked through your bio 2006 at flinders uni that's right that's, yeah that's well, that was that's right yeah that well that was the kind of easiest thing to do i guess um uh because when i was at i really just went to university so i could do student radio and write for the student newspaper they didn't have student tv at uh, flinders uni in adelaide they they did have something uh at one of the other unis like that was connected to channel 31 in adelaide which is called channel 44 now but i didn't know that at the time so i thought yeah student radio i I was aware of it looked like a good kind of accessible entrance point into the world of you know electronic media and yeah uh that was the first first time i was ever on radio first time i ever operated a control panel um I learned how to edit sketches, how to, you know, do all that sort of stuff. And yeah, it was a really great, really great experience. Met some, met some people who I still collaborate with today. Um, yeah. It was great. You said, one thing you said there was that it was an easy way to get into it. Was it, is that specifically radio? Did you find radio as a, as a medium to, to work in easier than well, obviously, television has many elements to it, but also writing for stage, or um, and not just writing for stand-up, but writing for plays. Or was 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 there something specifically about that radio world that you wanted to work in? Oh, I think just initially it was just because it was it was an easy thing to to get into because the overheads were so low. Like, yeah, um, that's why podcasts have become so popular to a degree. Yeah. Oh, exactly. It's, it's much cheaper to make. Um, you just need, you know, you just, you, well, for community radio anyway, you get access to all the equipment. So that's, that's great. 
you know, if you want to start a podcast on your own, you got to buy a microphone and, uh, you know, have a nice place to record in that's not too echoey, but like, yeah, community radio, you get access to the studios to, uh, in, in, in 2006, um, you know, you had, uh, the studio that had a phone connected to it so you could record phone interviews. Um, oh, yeah. That was very difficult to do back then, I think, like, because I don't think Zoom wasn't a thing. Maybe there was a, I'm not sure if Skype was a thing, maybe like Google Talk was a, just in its infancy. So it wasn't really a thing you did record phone conversations over the internet. But yeah, I so I used my community radio show as an excuse to interview some of my favorite comedians like Ah. Tony Martin Um, I interviewed Hamish Blake like when he was they'd only just started Hamish and Andy on on radio Um, and yeah just uh, just exploiting all those resources for my own personal gain Um, but then also just getting um, initially it was half I had a half hour show a week and then it went up to an hour just having all that time to do whatever you want with it. And, you know, the first probably six months of stuff that I was making wasn't very good, but after a while I got better, better at editing and better at working out. Oh, I think, you know, I think my radio show is better if I got two guests rather than one, because, you know, you can bounce off while the other two are talking, you can kind of take a bit of a break and think about <laughs> the next thing you're going to say. So like learning all those things hands on, um, yeah, was, was, very valuable and then you know you took i took all those skills to community tv when i moved to melbourne and did rmi tv student tv that's great I, I love the way you went into the university uh with a bit of a plan of what you wanted to get out of it that wasn't just a degree because i think a lot of people go into study thinking i oh, was if i get this you know writing degree or this something degree i'll I'll have a piece of paper that says I can do something. When you went in there, sounding like you went in there with a bit of a goal to, I already know what I want to do. I just need access to their, their equipment. Pretty much. It it really wasn't very sensible. Um, <laughs> that's, it, but that's it, a great, that's a great productive way to do it, though. That's, that's, it's great to have that, you know, um, not just enthusiasm, but the... Um, it's almost like an entrepreneurship of, of saying, I, I, I've got something I want to get out of this. Well, my parents certainly didn't see it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. uh, thinking back to that time, I hardly remember anything about the psychology degree that I studied. All of my <laughs> favorite memories are like hanging out at the radio studio at three in the morning, making prank calls. And, you know, uh, I wrote stuff for the empire times as well, the student newspaper. And, yeah, I got all these free tickets to movies. I went to like movie premieres in Adelaide and got to write reviews for stuff. And yeah, that was all great. I loved all that. That's great. The one thing I say you said earlier that you learned how to edit sketches with radio. And I think, I suppose that's something really interesting for writing for radio. How do you mean that you learned how to edit for radio and, and saying that you then went on to TV, is there much of a difference that you see? Is there, is there stuff, is, are there specific sort of things you're trying to achieve for radio that you you can't do elsewhere? Um, I think, you know, or if you're you writing... to do even, sorry, yeah? Yeah, well, if you're writing something that's going to be audio only, uh, well, yeah, there's no visual element, so you can't have any visual 
jokes or anything like that. It's all going to be created in the, you know, the, the sound effects. Uh, and I think uh, it's got to be, a, it usually has to be a bit shorter and a bit tighter if it's audio only. Something I've noticed is um, if I'm editing something, editing like a visual thing, like a TV sketch or like a web, web series thing or something that I'm working on as a visual element, and it's kind of like, oh man, I really need to cut this down a bit. Sometimes it's helpful if you just um, just look at the audio and just cut the audio down, and then you realize I actually I can make this way tighter than I thought I could. And then you you know you drag the edited audio back into the the video editing program, and you can just sync it up and go, oh yeah, there's all this stuff I don't actually need. So it's it's kind of it's a good it's a good good way to work out how to be um you know efficient. Um, that is that is a great uh, story. I, 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 yeah, I remember editing something when I was younger, and um, it was the first time I discovered what noddies were, because it was a, yeah. it was an interview with two people, and I just was looking at this thinking, and so the the interview is going so long, but if as soon as you start focusing only on the audio content, and start editing around that to make it tight and the question, you can play around with the visuals later. It's, yeah. it's, the audio seems to be the most important part. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that's the, I reckon that's true for visual comedy sketches, you know, stuff, stuff for TV as well. It's like, it's much better to have really good audio and kind of crappy vision than the other way around having really good vision and, and shitty audio. Um, that I, you know, I'd, I'd much rather have the audio, right? Cause that's where you kind of, um, you know, that's where you can, get the, the emotion across and that sort of thing with with music with with the sound effects um yeah and is that, whole, is that where you, kind of thing yeah so when you started to learn that within writing for radio what was there any mistakes that you saw that you were making that you started to say well that that i suppose it's that that thing about you have to paint the picture with your words more Rather than relying on the fact that the audience might know what they're, what's happening, you you become more descriptive. Was that something that you you, you started to do? Just some, I'm hypothesising, but uh, it's um I I mainly most of my sketches were were mainly fake ads, so yep. I mean they don't they don't didn't have a lot of depth to it. <laughs> it was just making fun of advertising someone you know yelling about crazy bargains and, and that sort of thing, um. Uh, I didn't do a lot of kind of like radio play kind of stuff. Some other yeah. people did on student yeah. radio. Um, I, I guess we no, we did a couple of those. There were a lot of work though. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, I just, I, you know, my, one of my favorite things to do was make fun of ads. So that was sort of what I tended to do most of all. Uh, and then like, so, you know, a typical show that was an hour for me would have, you know, might have a, three three or four songs in there just to sort of pat it out and then maybe yeah a few short sketches maybe one longer one and yeah. then the rest were just sort of talk breaks with with us uh me and my friends or other people from student radio uh doing uh like different segments we did a segment called um that sexist where like we would pretend to get really angry about things that we thought were sexist but actually weren't sexist at all and in fact us talking about them actually kind of made it sexist so um that was that was fun 
uh, <laughs> you, you know, you're, you're trying to you're, you're trying to um, escalate the joke into a uh, yeah, just ridiculousness. Like ridiculous, uh, an right? example, yeah. an example was uh, Nelson Mandela. That's sexist, you know. What about <laughs> Nelson Ursandella? You know, <laughs> stupid stuff like that. I remember we we did that set because I, I got the chance in 2009 to make a once-off show for Triple M yep. with um with the guys from Student Radio, and we we brought a bunch of it. We brought what we thought was our best stuff from you know the two or three years from Community Radio to that one show. We put all our best stuff into this one show. And we did a that sexist segment, and I remember the guy who was recording and editing that just did not get it. <laughs> <laughs> but but why is why is Nelson Mandela sexist? And I'm like, well, he's not. That's the that's the joke. <laughs> he just did not get it. And yeah, that 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 was a once-off show. And yeah, we couldn't go more than that. Well, it sounds like, but yeah, but so you started in radio in 2006, 2009. You you did something with Triple J, and um, you came into. Uh, well, Victoria in 2010 and just expanded on what were you working on at that stage? Was that that's where you went into television? Yeah, 2010, I moved from Adelaide to Melbourne. I got into journalism at RMIT, but once again, didn't really want to be a journalist, just wanted to go to <laughs> RMIT because I was familiar with their RMITV student television, which is great, it's, it's still a thing. They make I've, got, I've got to ask that. So yeah, yeah. RMIT TV is great, but why didn't you go into media? Well, well I suppose journalism is media, but yeah. Oh uh, well, I in know. hindsight, if I could do it again, I probably would do TV production or something like that rather than yeah. journalism. Um, I don't really know why. I don't know why I ended up doing journalism. It was a it was a one year postgraduate diploma. Ah, okay. It was only a year. It wasn't like it was three years. Um. But I mean, I did actually, I did learn some some good writing skills. It was it was a lot. I found it a lot more useful to what I do now than the psychology stuff. Um, so yeah, you know, learned how to write articles for print um, and online. And you know, I've gone on to do a few of those freelance. Yep. Um, you know, learned how uh, news in TV and radio, the kind of like organisation of it works which was good to know and i did like a, a week of work placement with win tv in ballarat which yeah. was really really great great experience and they don't even make the news there anymore it's all centralized in wollongong um but uh yeah student student tv was what i really wanted to do really that was great hands-on experience it's like student radio except you get access to a whole tv studio cameras and all the equipment there uh, it was the first time I'd ever used an auto cue, which I'd never used before. And I mean, they're great. I love reading off an auto cue. It's uh, way better than having to memorize everything. You can have really long blocks of text and you just look look right at the auto cue. There's a camera behind it and it looks like you're looking right down the barrel of the camera. It's a scam. <laughs> oh, that's interesting, though. Um, oh, there's a couple of things. I'll jump forward really quickly then. Uh, when you talked about doing uh, understanding how the media works and, and the format of, of the radio and, and um, television news, it made me think about the fact that you, you've, you went on over the years and eventually worked on uh, Sean McAuliffe's uh, Mad as Hell. 
as one example of something you worked on, and that's very news based. Did, yeah, was the knowledge within journalism and how they went about structuring the news that is reported? I don't actually know how they go about doing that, but was that useful? Was that something that you drew on? I think it did help a little bit. In fact, that's probably the best use I got out of the journalism degree. <laughs> yeah, using the knowledge of the news to write news jokes for, for mad as hell. So um, if somebody was looking at doing political um, comedy kind of things and, and satire on that, what, what from journalism, what from that world would you recommend as, as something to watch out for? Um, well, yeah, I mean, most comedy shows like that these days, sketch shows, it's, you know, there's a news current affairs kind of element to it because that seems to be the only way you can get it made. Um, you know, it's rare for something like uh, Auntie Donna's Coffee Cafe, which is just a, uh, not just a, but I mean, it's it's comedy. It's not news comedy. It's brilliant. Um, but there's there's no sort of current, you know, that that's going to be just as funny in ten years as as it is now. Whereas mad as hell, some of the stuff is going to be like if you're watching it a decade from now, like, I don't know who any of these politicians <laughs> yeah. are or what the issues are. Peter and, Dutton uh, seems really like funny. a nasty guy. Who was he? <laughs> yeah, and it's 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 uh, something for that week. That's uh, it's it's written it's written that week, and it's for it's to be watched that week. Um. And that was great because it meant you, know, you had a fresh, fresh slate every week. So you needed a big team of writers and, you know, great opportunities for people, including me, a very lucky, um, it's the best job I've ever had. Sean McCarlock was my hero growing up. He used to love uh, Full Frontal when he was on that and the McCarlock program. Uh, and, you know, if there was anything, if someone asked me back then, you know, if you want, if you could do anything, what would you do? It'd be like, I want to work on a, ABC sketch show with Sean McCarlough and yeah, I got to do it. Um, you, did, you did have sketches in there, but um, I, I understand that they were all pre-recorded stuff you did in the months in advance of. Yeah, they did. They did do some location stuff. Um, so they had one, they had uh, one kind of rehearsed one pre-recorded day in the studio and then one, record night where they'd shoot all of the stuff with a studio audience yeah and then they'd have one location day a week generally yeah um most of the most of the stuff in the show was uh desk pieces and interviews at in the studio um that's most mostly what i got on the show was desk pieces i got a got a few interviews i don't think i ever oh maybe one location thing i mean i definitely wrote lots of stuff but i think only one location thing that i wrote actually got on the show and it was a, a fake fake ad for bunnings and um it's probably my favorite thing that i ever wrote for the show oh cool well, that's going back to your making fun of advertising yeah it's kind of it's kind of my my bent i guess is there a lot of pressure with that work because like you said auntie donna uh that's gonna be funny in 10 years but also they can you can almost say it can take ten years to write that because the content. I don't. I don't imagine only Donna would spend ten years writing any joke. I don't know, but they seem fairly uh, improvised with a lot of their 
their work. But for you, you've got your time orientated. Something somebody's reported something in the news. You've almost got to spin out a something about it that afternoon. Is it is it always that quick? Um, yeah. Often you'd go in. Sometimes I'd go in with nothing, with nothing, no ideas, and I go, you know, just sit on online and look at the news as it comes in because you can you can organize it by like you know the what's the stuff that's just in. Put that at the top of the screen, and just just look for those certain stories that jump out as something that could be funny or could be explored. Um, often the things that would usually jump out for me, stuff, little things that I'd write. I, I had a lot of success with little international stories. They did a segment called news from countries that aren't Australian. Yes. Yes. So usually, usually only a setup and then a joke, one joke, and that moves on to the next one. Um, so often, you know, if something, was ha- ha- something happened in a different country and it was something like uh, i don't know it was like the world's biggest something has been unveiled or like something was found somewhere where it's not usually found like it that sort of general concept was usually uh, oh if something like that happened okay i reckon i can get something out of that um so that those are the sort of you know general things i'd look out for but then would you, um would you yeah, then I'm, would you write like if you found something like that, would you try and would you try and write like five different potential jokes around that topic, or how would you how would you approach if you found something that you thought there's a joke in that? How would you go about extrapolating that? Uh, I'd I'd sort of I'd put it on the page. I'd put the link to the article on the on the page because the way we the way we write those is uh, uh, you'd have a little image next to sean's head he'd be at the desk and there's an image next to his head it's called the stills box and there'd be a caption underneath it yep and then it'd be a setup he'd you'd cut to the article on the screen you'd maybe have a little bit of um text that would pop out that you'd say i want this bit this grab to pop out on the screen yep. and that would get that would get um, edited by a graphics person during the week if the sketch got approved and then after that you'd have your punchline that's the most basic kind of format of that, that kind of script. Yeah, and, but how, how how would you get to that punchline in terms of finding the joke in that topic? Yeah, I'd uh, sometimes it comes straight away before I've even, you know, while I'm looking at the article. Other times I'm like, I know there's something there. I'll just I'll put the skeleton there of the oh, script, okay. and yeah. then try and try and work out, you know, the best way to end it. And yeah. Some, sometimes it, yeah sometimes it's really easy and other times it's it's really hard and you got to walk away from the desk and yeah. go get a cup of coffee and come back and then often often I go to the toilet and it comes to me <laughs> while I'm I'm sitting on the can <laughs> I've come up with lots of great ideas in the ABC bathroom <laughs> I, I run run back to the desk before I forget it um, what you haven't got your phone on you and you don't just write it into the uh, messages app <laughs> <laughs> yes um yeah that was the bathroom the bathroom was just around the corner it wasn't that big of a walk just keep reciting in my head i remember there was one thing it's funny i can i can remember i can remember the the particular jokes that i thought of on the on the crapper there there was one um one script i wrote about um tony abbott so this is a good thing for writing something you know if a politician says something weird often it was tony abbott <laughs> all of these weird quotes that were just oh man um 
yeah, he said something like it was a, a International Women's Day in maybe 2018. And he yeah. said something like, uh, oh, you know, I don't want people to have an anti-man agenda. And um, I thought of an idea about oh, I mean, what is an anti-man? That's like the opposite to a man, like matter and anti-matter. So if they come into contact, they destroy each other. So I was thinking about that and I, I ended up having, um, you know, I, I went down that path and that was kind of the main main bit. But sometimes you you write something and you're like, I think it needs something in the setup. If, it, if you can have kind of a smaller joke or just a turn of phrase in the setup before you get to the, the punchline, that can really make a big difference. Um, and I was, uh, I was, yeah, sitting on the toilet and I thought of like, you know, just mulling things over, about, you know, International Women's Day. And I thought of what's that, that phrase, the glass ceiling. Yes. That's a, that's something I could, could go something there. I was thinking the, the actual show wasn't airing on International Women's Day. It was going to air the day before. I go, well, that's, that's International Women's Day Eve, isn't it? So yeah. it's kind of like, kind of like Christmas Eve. Okay. What happens? What happens Christmas Eve? Like Father Christmas comes and he, you know, delivers the presents. Okay. Father Christmas. All right. What if it's like Mother mother you know i was kind of like thinking about that and i ended up thinking wait a minute <laughs> old old father woman comes down the glass <laughs> chimney <laughs> and, and delivers the gift of gender equality okay so i ended up putting that in the putting that in the intro and yeah sean sean really liked it and he changed the only addition he, he changed was he um he changed it from old father woman to jolly old father woman <laughs> which i think was definitely an improvement because it made it made a better connection yes. uh, to, to father christmas yes but then uh, there's, i mean this is we're, we're dissecting the frog here uh when he's recording it on the record night he he accidentally skips over the word jolly on on the auto cue it's there on the auto cue but he he, he skips over it by accident so he ends up doing the doing it the way i did it and you could you can watch the video. You see in his eyes. He's like, oh, I just I just messed that up. But it gets such a great reaction from the crowd that he's like, all right, I'm gonna just keep going. And he just pushed forward with it. So his his addition, which which would have been an improvement, it was lost in the moment because uh, it didn't matter because it, it got it got a great reaction from the crowd, which was what it was really all about. I have noticed that he he seems very um, in the moment sort of listening to the crowd and what he's saying and you can see him sort of reacting as to whether or not he's satisfied or dissatisfied with himself or the audience. Yeah. Is there there a a moment where you have to do a rewrite or you you, a double, a a take again or something? Not often. No? Um, No, I mean, he generally had a great instinct for, um, crowd crowd work. Um, sometimes something would happen, and you'd have to you'd have you would have to redo it because uh, uh, maybe like there was a mis- the graphic didn't come up at the right time, yep. or um, the audio dropped out. Or so. there's all sorts of there's a hundred different reasons that could ruin a take. And sometimes sometimes if he'd already kind of revealed that if he'd already gone too far into the joke and revealed the funny bit and then had to redo it, that could that could 
on occasion has completely killed that that script yeah. and couldn't be used. And other times, it got a laugh, but it wasn't quite as good. And yeah, it, it sort of depends on uh, depends on the night and if it's a if it's a good crowd or if it's if it happens on a story which oh we might be able to actually do that one next week so let's just leave it for now it's like yeah it all it all it all depends really often you know often things were shown to the audience multiple times before it actually ended up getting into an episode oh wow Um, yeah there was something i wrote um i wrote there was an interview i wrote about um uh coal i think um yeah rooftop coal power plant that was that was the concept um angus angus taylor said something you know it's about solar power it's not reliable i I came up with well we should have we should decentralize the coal network by giving everybody their own coal rooftop plant on top of their house um and it's this was uh 20 the season in 2021 and um it was a strange season because you had lockdowns we're in and out of lockdown. So there was a while there where we had a studio audience and then we didn't have a studio audience. And I think the, the interview was recorded on a night where there was no studio audience and it didn't get used that week. But then the next week there was a studio audience. So they played, they played the, uh, the, the recording from the previous week. They just played that too the audience that week they didn't bother getting francis to put on the costume and do the whole thing again they just played what they'd done but because there was now an audience there their laughter wasn't in sync with the timing of the 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 way they did it without the audience so you know laughter was over the top of lines and it didn't work so then the next week after that sean uh they redid it so that they could have it all in that have the timing right with the audience oh and then for whatever reason, they didn't use it that week because they had enough material. Um, they had enough material that was more, to- you know, sometimes if there's something that's a bit more topical, they want to try and get that out as quickly as possible. If that coal thing, it, it felt like this will probably still be funny next week or next week. We'll, we'll save it. Not only that, but then, still be then what, yeah. what, ha- what happened then the next week, there was the lockdown, there was no audience again. So they like, they couldn't use that version of it because it had a laugh track. <laughs> so it just kept oh, getting ruined, and then it ended up not being used that season at all. But then the next year, Sean said, "Oh, if you want to um, rework that that coal sketch, and there was another sketch that I'd done the previous year as well about um, uh, at Coles, the grocery, the supermarket, um, which was also kind of evergreen. And if you want to rework those, make them a bit more up to date. I reckon we can use those again. So I, yeah, I did that. Um, found found some some something had happened in the news that I could cut to an article that made it look a bit more current. And then both those, both those things got in um, like 10 months after they were actually recorded. Um, That's amazing. That's an example of a joke that I was going to say doesn't die, but it, it, you write something and you might just sit it aside for years and years and years until you actually have to, until it actually finds a home. And I mean, I think Sean was saying, and he mentions this in his autobiography that there was a sketch about the Pope that he'd written for either Full Frontal or the McAuliffe program in like 1998. And that ended up, it didn't get used, but it did end up getting used on Mad as Hell in season three. I think it was, might've been my first season there. They ended up using it. So it was like uh, 15 years sitting in a drawer. Um, 
and it had finally made it. <laughs> well, I might use that as a segue then to actually going back a, a, a few years. You started in 2006, let's say you started in 2006 working with comedy on, on radio. Yeah. It yeah. took until 2016 for you to do a solo show at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. That's a 10-year gap, which for people in comedy, in Australia at least, or in at, well, you got Adelaide Fringe and you got the Melbourne International Comedy Festival, people who <laughs> who, who consider themselves working in comedy or, or as comedians tend to, as soon as they get $500 together, just sign the registration and make their own show immediately. But, well, it took me 10 years to get $500 together. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask if it took you 10 years to, like, decide that you wanted to do something that was on stage or if it took you 10 years to put together a type of show that you were happy to do or was it really just because so many people dive into doing it like within their first two years or three years but you took time was was there any was there any particular reason it took time or was it really well, just I, a financial thing um well i i the first time I did stand up was in 2008 at uh, the the old Rhino Room in yep. Adelaide, which is now a residential tower. Um, and I did it a few times uh, between 2008 and maybe 2011. So I did it in Adelaide a bit, and then I, when I moved to Melbourne, I did a few gigs around. But I, I never really it wasn't really something that I really loved. Um, yep. I, I would just get super nervous the whole, if I knew I was doing, doing it that night, I would just couldn't think about anything else. And I really struggled to memorize, um, the routine. And which is why auto cues are so fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, like I, I would write down word for word what I planned to say. And then I tried to, I would try to remember that. Um, and you know, I, I really like to get things word perfect that you know that's the the writer in me yeah and um yeah i i don't know i just i i much prefer doing stuff for for radio or for for online for you know a video element i feel like you're going to put that much time into crafting this this thing i could put the same amount of effort into making something that's going to last a bit longer than five minutes in a in a room full of people who are mostly other stand-up comedians who were going to perform that night as well. I mean, that was the other thing. I, I, I never really – I did I did raw comedy a couple of times and they were like quite big rooms or packed rooms. And that, that was all right. But then um, I, I did it in uh, – it was the first time I did it in 2009. Um, you know, I did – did routine it yeah, got a pretty good reception and then I, I made it to the next round in Adelaide and I did the same routine and it got absolutely nothing and I yeah uh, kind of and then the, the same thing happened the next year as well in 2010 I I I like won the 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 round the heat and then I got to the state semi-final and uh yeah same routine and I think I might have been on first but uh yeah it just didn't uh the, the the heat was in the rhino room. The 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 semifinal was in the Arca Bar, which is a more kind of suburban crowd, I guess. And it, yeah, they just didn't didn't care for it. Um, 
So, uh, yeah, and I, then, but there was always this thing at the back of my mind that you're not a real comedian unless you're doing stand up. And I'd never done a comedy festival show. I, I have so many friends who are comedians and they, they all done them. And, you know, I've gone and seen them. I'm like, oh, you know, this is really, you know, this is if you want to, if you're into comedy, you should be part of this festival. So it was, there was, I feel like I needed to kind of do it just so uh, I could call myself a comedian. So yeah, 20, 2016 or 2015, I started doing open mic sets again in, in Melbourne to get enough material to do a, an hour or 50 minute show. Um, yeah. And I, uh, yeah, did it in 2016. And the, the last time I ever did stand up was the last show of that. I stepped off the stage and went, I don't really have any urge to do this again. <laughs> but I still, I still write material down. I go, oh, sometimes I write things and I go, oh, that's definitely a, that's a TV sketch or, oh, that's, that's, that's a stand up bit. So I still accumulating material. Uh, I'm sure I'll do it again sometime when I get the urge. Well, I was, I was just about to, to tell you that you, uh, your website describes it as your first solo show. So, um, it can't be the only time if it's if it's only the first. But um, yeah. uh, stand up. You, you mentioned that you think. Do you really think that doing you, to be defined as a comedian, you have to do stand up? Oh, when you said broad, that, broadly, it, yeah. yeah. Well, I, and I understand that that's that seems to be somewhat of a benchmark, but I. I think with this, with the dissecting of frog series, I'm, I'm going to interview a lot of people who don't do stand up and are very good comedians, just very good writers, people who who, who write comedy. And I'm just—is this then you're, interesting? Then you're a comedy writer, then I think. Ah, oh, that's hard. That's—is that hard? Well, I guess I, I, you know, depending on if I'm writing a, a description of myself. Like, oh, I'm a, you know, I write, I'm a comedian and I kind of backspace that. I'm a comedy writer, performer. Like, oh, I don't know. So I, depending on the mood I'm in, whether I'll actually write that I'm a comedian or not, I feel like when you think of a comedian, you think of a stand-up comedian. And I, I Sometimes when people found out I did comedy, uh, like, oh, where, when, where can I see you do stand-up? When, when do you do stand-up? Like, oh, I, well, I'm not really doing that. And then just this disappointment that you'd see in their face. <laughs> Like I just their their whole image of what a comedian is has just been shattered. Um, yes, uh, it's happened multiple times. So I mean that was that was one of the reasons I think that got me to do the solo show because I'm like I keep having this reaction with people. <laughs> um, well, I love yeah. that uh, you. One of the reasons you didn't want to do the stand up you didn't enjoy stand-up was because it was just something you did for five minutes in a night when you could make something that could last a little bit longer. And I suppose that's why, is that why you do things like the VHS review on YouTube? I've seen that there seems to be, you do a few times as soon as you kind of get something together, it's, it's released. But is that why you make those? Is that the purpose behind that so that you can make something that actually sits somewhere and is present for a while. Yeah, well, that that's one of the reasons. I mean, uh, I've been the last few years I've been stepping up with those, making um, eight eight to 
2021, I made 10. And then la- uh, last year, I made eight episodes. And this year, I'm making 16. So this is a big year. Oh, wow. And I like doing it. And it's it's fun. It's um it's making it's doing jokes about old ads from old videotapes. So like a, not a lot of people are doing jokes like that. So <laughs> I don't feel like there's a lot of competition. Whereas if you're making a topical comedy show, everyone's making the same jokes about the news. Um, so you know you got to kind of you got more yeah more competition. Um, but uh, it's uh, it's something that I can do, and there's no gatekeeper. Like I can yeah. shoot. I can, I can write it, I can shoot it, I can edit it, I can post it on YouTube. No one's going to stop me. Whereas if you're trying to make a bigger TV show that needs funding, there's all these hoops you got to go through. And if you've got a big crew of people, I mean, that's a whole set of problems on its own. Um, I mean, I made stuff with uh, RMI TV. Uh, there's a game show I made called 31 Questions. Had a crew of about, I think, 30 Oh wow, that's a lot of people, and I mean, you got that many people. You 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 might get the studio for free, but you need to provide the catering. So that's a lot of money you need to put out. A lot of the, these people are volunteering, so uh, often if they get paid work at the last minute, they'll go and do that. So then you need to, you know, you, you got to scramble to find somebody else. Um, the more people you have, also inevitably there's there's conflicts that arise between certain individuals. Yeah, so I, you know, if you can, this uh, what I love about VHS review. It's me and maybe two other people who help out, and it's, uh, yeah, it's it's bare bones, and we're very efficient. Like I shot sixteen episodes on a weekend a couple of months ago, and I'm just editing them and releasing them throughout the year. Oh wow! So you, so when you said, you, so you wrote the sixteen episodes and then shot them and then edit them. Is that I assume that's the process? Is that how you? Yeah. It's just it's more efficient to do it that way because um, uh, where I'm living at the moment in Melbourne, I don't. We moved house recently, and uh, there's no carpet in the house. It's, it's and I've got a ten month old baby. There's just nowhere I can shoot this at home at the moment. So I, up until now, I've I've been traveling back and forth between Melbourne and Adelaide a lot because my family still lives there. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but with the with the baby, it's it's harder to get back there. So. I negotiated with my wife. So, okay, what if I just went for a weekend and I shot as many VHS review episodes as I could, as I can, and then I'll come back and I won't go back again for a while. And yeah, she said, that's okay. So, okay. <laughs> and so I had, I had about a six week, I had about a six week lead time and I'd already written about eight scripts. Cause I was, I was just writing them in the meantime, after Mad as Hell finished, I didn't have much else to do. So I go, okay, okay, how many can I write? <laughs> so I just wrote as many as I could. I ended up with 16 scripts. Um, and then, yeah, shot all of the pieces to camera, just one after the other. I did did 10 episodes on the Saturday, and then I did eight, uh, six on the Sunday. In hindsight, 10 was too many because I'm losing my voice towards the last the, the last <laughs> two. And you'll, you'll be able to see it. You can hear my voice is quite different in some of the episodes. We didn't shoot them in order either, so try and work out which one was number nine and number ten <laughs> the Saturday. <laughs> and I, uh, I had a I had a glass of rum off the camera that I was sipping because I'd heard that that was good for your throat and it did, it did make a difference. But yeah, after the tenth one, I was just absolutely exhausted. And then uh, doing six on the Sunday wasn't so bad. But I really like those, and I, you know, I script them as if it's a TV show. I think I kind of 
take the same approach that I took at Mad as Hell with writing scripts about, you know, doing multiple drafts and trying to make it as tight as possible. Yeah, I was wondering whether or not that was part of the reason for making VHS was to uh, keep that practice going because I assume that let's hope that there's another show like Matters Held come up and you can say, yeah, not only did I work on that, I'm still sort of got my brain in that game and you can show that. It's like having a CV. Yeah, yeah, uh, you know, especially with TV, once you're out, very hard to get back in. Um, so, you know, if you can keep making something, um, keep your foot in foot in the game, it's, uh, yeah, a lot, a lot better than, oh, yeah, I wrote on that show five years ago and I haven't done anything since then. <laughs> yeah, please yeah. give me your job. I think, it's, I think it's a great interview in terms of people wondering how, how do you get, just work in the industry and how do you how do you do comedy and the expectation is to always be on stage but there's there's avenues there's other things you can do there's radio there's the web series there's there's all kinds of things yeah i mean plenty of plenty of comedy people uh you know they just make their own stuff for uh youtube or tiktok or whatever and they can get you know millions of views um that's amazing the the reach that you can have you can have now um, and if you can if you can find the right audience and and find a way to monetize it, you don't even need to get a job on a TV show. You or you just make your own thing and generate yeah. your income. Yeah, like like that Mr. Beast guy. I don't know if you ever seen him on YouTube. I mean, I can't stand him, but like he <laughs> makes he makes videos that have hundreds of millions of views, and he does weird stunts that must cost hundreds of thousands of dollars like you know he's riding on top of trains and hiring private jets and doing all sorts of weird stuff um he doesn't need anyone he can do whatever the fuck he wants because you know he's got a huge audience and huge income stream coming in uh i hate those people oh yeah Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um i should i should let you go but i'll ask the last question which since you're aware of dissecting the fog, you already know what this question is going to be. But I'll I'll drum it up because you've done all these things, but you all started off back in 2006 with the goal, it seems, of doing some comedy in radio. So why comedy? Why why pursue that? Why pursue this as a as a stream of things? What's what's comedy got for you? I think uh, just, you know, trying to find that thing that makes someone laugh is just deeply fascinating to me. I always loved, I was always the, the kid making the adults laugh at, you know, barbecues and stuff like that. And uh, I love, you know, I love getting that reaction and, um, you know, it, it's fun. And I wasn't paying attention and have no other real backup plan um, <laughs> other than being able to, uh, operate a control panel at a radio station um but, but you learned that yeah, along the way what got you going I was... anything else. yeah just... i i mean i think it's just as simple as uh i noticed that i could get people to laugh by saying things and it felt good i mean laughing feels yeah. good and making other people feels uh, laugh uh, feels really good as well you know um 
And what better I thing to pursue in, in life than making people feel good? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I mean, my parents were both professionals. Um, my mum's a doctor and my dad was an engineer. And, I mean, the, the thought of having the pressure of having to treat people with life or death illnesses or having to, I don't know, work on a building that, you know, you're signing off on it. And if you get it wrong, it could collapse and kill people. I mean, I'd much rather just make people laugh. <laughs> jokes, <laughs> jokes about glass chimneys and such. Uh, but you see, you got to remember that uh, people who do those jobs require the downtime to relax so that they can go find the energy to go back and do those jobs. And that's what yes, so I'm, I'm helping them in a way. Yeah. Yeah. You're the rehabilitation. Okay, well, I'm glad I've worked out a reason why I'm doing this. <laughs> I haven't really thought about it too much. No, there's, there's plenty in there. There's plenty of good things. You've done some great stuff, Dave. Thank you. Uh, and, yeah, thanks for having me on. No, great to Love have you. Thanks. thanks for that. Thank you. We'll catch you later. <laughs> that was another good episode. Thank you for listening to Dissecting a Frog, presented by Comedy Victoria. To support this podcast and hear about upcoming gigs and opportunities, become a member, visit the website comedyvictoria.com.au and follow on social media at Comedy Vic. You can track down myself, Luke Morris, at Luke Morris Ha, but please don't take all this comedy talk too seriously because as EB and Catherine Wright wrote, humour can be dissected as a frog can, but the thing dies in the process. <laughs>